Well, hello again, everyone. And uh, I don't want to always be up here talking about my health. Last week I was telling you about my tooth, but uh, yesterday morning I had a, actually it was Friday, um, uh, significant um, attack of sciatica, my back nerve, and it took me uh, from the bed uh, to the washroom in the morning, a journey uh, route I usually takes about three seconds. It took me two minutes. And, uh, and so when we're singing that song, Standing, I'm like, do we know how blessed we are that we can stand? And by the way, I'm doing a bit better today after lots of painkillers, so thank you. Um, <laughs> but also, not just standing, but figuratively standing on the Word of God, how blessed we are. Uh, if you have a Bible or advice, I'd invite you to turn to uh, Luke chapter 18. We will be there in just a moment. We are beginning a new five-week teaching series called Jesus the Storyteller. Jesus lived 2,000 years ago in the first century in a storytelling world. Uh, books were rare, literacy was rare, and so communication was verbal, and memorization was common. And uh, as you read through the, the four Gospels about the life of Jesus, you'll find him teaching and uh, large crowds encircling him. He was known as a storyteller, he was known as a teacher. In fact, he taught with great authority. They were amazed with his teaching. And you'll find as you read through the teaching of Jesus, sometimes he uses is what is called a parable. And if you're new to the Christian faith, a parable is a story or an illustration that communicates a deep spiritual truth. So Jesus takes a story from nature or from uh, some celebration, a wedding, from uh, work. And he tells the story, and there's one point to it. There's one spiritual truth that he wants his hearers to learn. And why did he use parables? Well, parables, you had to think intently to get the point that the, the, the storyteller was saying. And so Jesus used parables to reveal our hearts. If our hearts were open to his teaching, we'd have to think intently, what's he trying to say to me? And we'd have to dig, we'd have to stretch. If my heart wasn't opened to the teaching of Jesus, I'm like, what's he talking about? And that truth really would be concealed from me. So as you read through the life of Jesus, you'll find he was a teacher teaching directly but also teaching with parables. And so for the next five weeks, we're going to look at five parables that are found in Luke's gospel. Luke tells more stories about Jesus than any of the other gospel writers, and we're going to look at uh, five different parables communing a tr communicating a truth. And for the next five weeks, I'm going to ask you to open your heart to Jesus and let these truths in. Now, to begin with, uh, uh, the first parable of the first week here, um, we get the point of the parable right at the beginning of, of the story. How neat is that, right? Luke is going to say, hey, uh, don't scratch your head on this one. I'm going to give you a freebie here, okay? So if you have a Bible, Luke chapter 18, and we're going to begin in verse 1, where we read these words. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Jesus wants you to pray and to keep praying and not to give up, not to quit. Now, if you're new to the Christian faith, you'll find in Scripture, you can pray in a lot of different ways. Maybe you're thinking, can I pray with my eyes open or do they always have to be closed? 
Can I pray standing up, or do I always have to be seated, or is it the other way around? If you look at Scripture, you can pray standing, you can pray sitting, you can pray kneeling, you can pray with your eyes open, you can pray, pray with your eyes closed, you can pray with your hands folded, pray with your hands raised to heaven. There's lots of ways you can pray. And then when you talk to God, how do you pray? What do you pray? Well, if you look in Scripture, there should be times in your prayers that you're praising God, adoration. There should be times in your prayers where you're confessing things. God, I'm sorry for this. I repent of this. There should be times where you are thanking God for things. Thank you for my family. Thank you that I'm standing today. There's times then as well that you should uh, have prayers of supplication where you're asking God for things. I use the acronym ACTS, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. It helps me so that I don't always find myself just asking God for, for stuff, but it's a relationship with Him. Parents, I want to remind you, uh, you can take four words and teach your child to pray. Uh, the first word is wow. Wow, isn't God big? Look at how big. How, how, how many trees there are. The second word is sorry. Sorry, God, that I hit my brother. My brother. Uh, the next word is thanks. Thanks, Lord, uh, that, that I could have this ice cream. And then the last word is help. Help me to do my best and to pass the test. Okay, so those are some ways that you can help your child cultivate a healthy spiritual prayer life. Now, I want to note you to notice there that Jesus says we should always pray and not give up. And the context here that he's going to talk about in the story is asking. So in other words, you should ask and keep on asking and not quit asking. So when you pray, there's to be this persistence in asking, and you're praying as well with faith. So let's look at the parable together. Jesus said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time, he refused. But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? This parable is between Jesus' teaching on his second return, on the kingdom of God and his coming again. And he asks the question at the end of this parable, when he returns, will he find this kind of faith on the earth? Will he find people persisting in prayer, seeking him? Will he find it? So then, now let's walk through this parable. In the parable, you have a judge and you have a widow. Two things we know about the judge. He doesn't fear God. As a judge, God is not the highest authority. He's the highest authority. He thinks he can, he can do whatever he wants. He can make any decision he wants. He's not accountable to anybody. So he just, he, he's just his own guy. Doesn't fear God. Secondly, we know he doesn't care about people, what they think. He, just, he doesn't care about people. In the time of Jesus, uh, in the area of Israel, there were the, the, the Jewish jurisdictions. They could control uh, certain civil matters, but there was times 
when they couldn't come to an agreement and a, a Roman judge would be brought in. And it's interesting, if you look at history, a lot of these judges, or a number of them, uh, accepted bribes back in that day. That if you could pay off the judge, you get what you want. This judge here, that seems to be the implication. He was crooked. Didn't fear God, didn't care about people. That he was just a crooked judge. Interesting, I was talking to uh, someone at lunch today, a family member uh, who travels around the world, and he was talking to me, sharing just about how he'd been in this country, and, and to get his driver's license in this particular country, you had to take a test, like to drive in the country, but you had to pay off the person that was marking your test. And uh, sometimes that's foreign to us here in Canada, well, maybe not so much, but in, <laughs> in many countries of the world, there's corruption. You've got to pay off bribes. So that's, that's our judge. The widow here, what do we know about the widow? The widow has no one to represent her. There's no male coming to represent her. She's been mistreated, and nobody's there to, to get her justice, to set things right. Nobody's there. And she doesn't have money to pay off this judge, so she has to keep going back. Interesting, in the first century, women, and in particular widows, um, they had nothing. Uh, that's why you'll find, as you read your Bible, God's special concern for the orphan, for the widow, for the poor, for the stranger. They were, they, who was there for them? And so here's this poor widow. But it's interesting, when Jesus uses women in stories or parables, he empowers these women's, the, the women. Yeah, sure, she was poor. She had nobody representing her. But man, she took responsibility. She, she had this inner strength where she would persist. She kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. Crooked judge, widow. Verse 4, for some time he refused but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. The more the judge dismissed her, like, get out of my face, get lost. I, I don't want to talk to you anymore. Just get lost. The more persistent she became. I mean, she wears this guy down. She's constantly in his face. She's appealing to him over and over. I try to imagine first century, okay? They didn't have a Tim Hortons there, but if she saw the judge going to Tim Hortons, and they'll probably, are we getting a Starbucks? A Starbucks, anyway, somewhere. And for morning coffee, hey, can, judge, can I talk to you about my case? Somewhere else she said, judge, can I talk to you about my case? Judge, and she just persists. And finally, this crooked judge who doesn't fear God, doesn't care about people, just to get her off her, his, his back, says, I will see that she gets justice. She keeps asking me, asking me, asking me. She won't leave me alone. I'm sick and tired of her. Yes. Look what the Lord says, verse 6. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust says. And unjust judge says, and then here's the key verse, verse 7. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and 
quickly. Now, we can interpret that verse in the wrong way. Oh, God our Father is like the crooked judge. But again, when you read Scripture, you're always looking at the near context and the far context, and you're like, no, Scripture's pretty clear that God is a just judge. In fact, He can't do anything that's not uh, just. So, what's going on here? This is a parable of contrast. And in Jesus' day, they used something, uh, it was a rabbinic form of teaching, a rabbi, that's the Hebrew word teacher, a uh, rabbinic form of teaching uh, included this argument, and it was used again and again in that day. And it goes like this, if something is true in a smaller instance or a lesser instance, how much more is the case in a greater instance? If something is true in a lesser instance, in contrast, how much more is that the case in a greater instance? And what Jesus is trying to help us see is this. If a crooked judge finally says yes to a woman and gives her a good gift, a gift of justice, how much more will God, your heavenly Father, the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving God, give you good gifts? Jesus uses this form of teaching in Matthew 7, where in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, ask, and the verb tense is keep on asking. It's, it's not just a one-time thing. It's an ongoing action. Ask and keep on asking, and it will be given unto you. Seek and keep on seeking, and you will find. Knock and keep on knocking, and the door will be opened unto you. And then he says, which of you, if you have a son who asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks you for a fish, you will give him a snake. If you, as earthly fathers, as sinful, fallen, broken fathers, know how to give your child, your son, a good gift, how much more your father will give you good gifts? Again, Jesus is teaching from the lesser to the greater. It's a reminder to me, for me, how much I love my kids and, and that's why I want to give them gifts. So growing up, my wife and I, we uh, kind of had this thing that we'd say yes as much as we can, and sometimes we'd say no, and sometimes we'd say um, not right now. And uh, so we'd do that, and so we'd give them gifts. But Jesus is saying, you've got a heavenly Father who is, wants to give so many more good gifts. That's what He's teaching us here. That's his point. Ask and keep on asking because your father wants to give you good gifts. Now, you have to take a time out here. If I ask and God doesn't give me a good gift, what's going on? Because what Jesus is teaching here is implying that God doesn't always give you what you want when you want it. Everybody put up your hand, right? God does not always give you what you want, when you want it, so He says to you, keep on asking and don't quit, don't give up. Now, here's the challenge for us, big picture. God has a will for your life, a plan for your life, 
And you have a will for your life, a plan for your life. And Jesus, when he talks about, you know, asking and you will receive, if your plan and God's plan, your will and God's will align, you're going to get it. But if it's not, that's where we got to keep persisting to figure that out. Is this God's will? Lord, I'm asking that I'm going to marry this girl. Lord, I'm asking that I be able to get this house. Lord, I'm asking that I get this job. Lord, I'm asking for my family member that this would happen. Lord, I'm asking for this health need. We ask, but we're not quite sure always what God's will is. Now, when you look at Scripture and God's will, He's got His moral will, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not kill. But He's also got His decreed will. Again, He is sovereign over His creation. His decreed will is what is he's determined to come to pass. Again, God's sovereignty, but we have a responsibility. So God's decreed will, we're trying to figure out, Lord, is this the house you want for me? Is this the job you want for me? Which means we've got to keep praying and praying because we don't know if our will is God's will. And the famous, and and by the way, God's will always wins. It always prevails. A famous example of this is Jesus in the garden Um, I don't know if you've ever had a night or a day in your life that it was so bad you were just like like in a fetal position on the ground. You couldn't talk. You're just like, you're so broken and and just so full of, of emotion. Well, we're told when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he would go to the cross that his soul was overwhelmed to the point of death, that he fell face to the ground And three times he asked the Father, Father, if this cup could be passed from me, that's what I'm asking. Please say yes, but nevertheless, your will be done, not mine. The cup, again, you'll find in the Bible, the cup often refers to suffering. Father, if there's some way I can redeem man without the cross, without your wrath being poured onto me, Lord, I'm asking for that, but your will be done. That's where Jesus is in the garden. Father, is this your will? And then he surrenders to the Father's will. That we were trying to figure out, okay, is this God's decreed will for me? And, but I'm always surrendering to his will. I'm not trying to control God through my prayers, but I'm through my prayers trying to let God control more of me. E. Stanley Jones said it this way, prayer is surrender to the will of God in cooperation with that will. If I throw out a boat hook from a boat and catch hold of the shore and pull, do I pull the shore to me or do I pull myself to the shore? Prayer is not pulling God to my will, but the aligning of my will to the will of God. And then Eugene Peterson, the late Eugene Peterson, said it this way, prayer is not begging God to do something for us that he doesn't know about or begging God to do something for us that he is reluctant to do or begging God to do something that he hasn't time for. In prayer, we persistently, faithfully, trustingly come before God, submitting ourselves to his sovereignty, confident that he is acting right now on our behalf. In prayer, I'm coming before him, the one who is sovereign, the one who has his decreed will, and saying, Lord, I don't know what your will is for my life here, but I'm praying that it's this, 
and you're asking and you're asking and you're asking again. And when you persist in prayer, we are told that God will answer you. He will hear you and he will answer you. So persistent prayer, remind you, you're talking not to a crooked judge, you're talking to a loving heavenly father that wants the best for you. How does he answer your prayer? Sometimes God says yes. In Acts chapter 12, great illustration of this, uh, Peter uh, is in uh, uh, prison. King Herod wants to, is uh, looking to, to have him beheaded. Um, uh, later, Peter would be executed years later, but in this particular case, he's uh, awaiting uh, execution. And there's some Christians, a group of Christians, they're having their life group, it's an emergency life group meeting, and they're praying for Peter, and Peter is released. He goes to, uh, to where they're praying, and the girl at the door says, Peter's here to the others, they, they don't believe it. What? No, God can answer our prayers. Sometimes he says, yes. Um, uh, three, three weeks ago, a month ago, I was praying for something. It was kind of a big ask, and my wife was praying, and uh, others in the family for it, and, uh, and I prayed and prayed and prayed. This last month, I've been praying, and I got to be honest with you, I kind of thought it was going to come back a no, because, um, yeah, just logically and weighing everything through, and the answer came back yes. What was my response? I was on my knees. Thank you, God, and I don't know about you, when I get an answer like that, it fuels me for months. Like, I can go two, three good months on, a, on an answer prayer, man. <laughs> you know, what is it? Mark Twain said you can go three months on a compliment. Well, I can go at least that on an answer prayer. So it's just like, um, man, I was just fueled. And we love it when God says, yes. James 4, James tells us, the camel knees, the guy that prayed a lot, he said, you don't, you have not because you ask not. So I have made it a habit in my life to keep asking God for things, okay? I've kind of got beyond the, Lord, I'm asking for a parking space right there at the front of the mall. Like, I, you, whatever, you can pray for that. But I pray regularly for things. I'm asking part of my prayer life. Sometimes God says yes, and those are, that's awesome. Sometimes God says, wait. That in God's decreed will, it's his will that you get an answer, but not yet. God's will has a what, but it also has a when. God has a timetable, and sometimes that timetable is different than our timetable. Moses knew he was going to deliver the Hebrew people. He took it into his own hands to, you know, when he saw some injustice there. God said, no, no, you have to go to the desert. I got to work on you for 40 years. Then you're going to be the leader. Paul, when he gets saved on the Damascus Road, when he counters Christ, he knows that Christ has called him to be a missionary, to bring the good news to the Gentiles. But Paul just didn't the next day start going on his missionary journeys. He spent years studying the scriptures and putting the historical record together, and then he went. Sometimes there's a waiting period in your life. And it's during those times that you wrestle that you wrestle. I don't know about you, but for me, in those times, I'm like, God, do you really love me? God, can you really work in this situation? Like, why aren't you working? Is it something to do with, with you? Um, sometimes it's, God, is it something to do with me? Lord, I confess my sins. Bring it to mind. I'll confess it. Lord, is it something with me? 
Am I not? I've even gone to the place, this was back when I was in my 20s, didn't know much. You don't know much in your 20s, but sorry. <laughs> I used to try to have these prayer formulas, right? I made sure that I'd end every prayer in Jesus' name. Sometimes I would pray on my knees. Maybe I'll just get down lower, right? And you just, you know, on my knees, one hand up, in Jesus' name. You know, you're just like, what's the formula? And I, if I'm being honest, I would do that, okay? It's during those times that you have to really wrestle. We love the times when God shows His power. Thank you, Lord. But sometimes God is silent, and you don't hear anything. And it's in those times you're tempted to think, prayer doesn't work. I'm still suffering. There's still unanswered prayer. God, I thought you'd come through for me, and you never did. That wrestling, can I tell you, is an act of faith. It's an act of faith. In my life, uh, I was praying to get married, to find someone and get married, and my dad was married at 23, so that's when I was going to get married. Lord, I pray to get married at 23. Lord, I pray I get married at 25. <laughs> Lord, I pray I get married at 27. Lord, I pray, and I got married, it was over 29. But it was during that waiting time that God brought me to himself and said, Dan, I want to be enough for you during this time. Sometimes you pray and you pray, and God says, okay, now it's time. There's other times I know in my life I've prayed and I've wrestled, and then over time, God's changed my heart. And I'm like, okay, it doesn't seem like God wants this for me. I'm not going to pray anymore about it. Someone has asked me, I've been asked many times, when do we stop praying for something? I mean, that's between you and God. I continue to pray for a miracle um, until it's absolutely clear God is going to do something else. So, so it's wrestling in prayer. And sometimes God says, wait. And, uh, and then thirdly, sometimes God says, no. God said no to a lot of my requests, but I keep praying. If, if you uh, have God, God said no to you, or maybe right now you're wrestling with prayer, can I encourage you to go to the book of the Psalms? Because in the book of the Psalms, you'll find the psalmist wrestling with God in prayer. You'll also often find the psalmist, uh, you know, um, prostrate before God or in a fetal position. I don't want to go on anymore. Life is, God, you, you know, why God? Where are you, God? And just, you find the psalmist there, and then he's just on the floor, and then, oh, he's on his knees, and he's starting to process who's God? Who am I? And he works that through, and he's wrestling with God. And then you find the psalmist on his knees. Why am I downcast, O oh my soul? I will trust in my God. He's my rock. He's my salvation. He's my future. And so you learn in the Psalms how to wrestle with prayer, with God, and, and so that you can keep on going, even sometimes when he says no. And it's when he says no in particular that's when it comes, that's when it leads to the question, am I going to keep trusting God? Logically, God should do this, but He's not. What do I do now? The Apostle Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, talks about a time in his life where he called out to God. He persisted in prayer. He had a thorn in the flesh. Uh, we're not sure exactly what it was, physical ailment probably of some sort, but it tormented him. It was disabling to him. And so he calls out to God to, to take this thorn away, to give him relief. And he calls out to God three times. And God says, Paul, 
No. I'm not going to give you relief and take it away. I'm going to give you my grace and my strength. My grace, Paul, is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Paul, there's a purpose I have for this that you can't see, but you're going to get up and you're going to go on because people are going to look at you. How can you do that? You're going to, they're going to see a strength. It's my strength. I'm going to use you, Paul. Because Paul knew he was following Jesus, the one who was in the garden, who said, uh, Father, please, if there's some other way, no, you're going to the cross. Paul knew that it was through the cross and the Father saying no that good could be brought about to millions and millions of people, that there'd be salvation. So that's when it comes to the question, when God says no to me, am I going to continue to trust him, that he's got a bigger plan, that I will yield, I will surrender, I will relinquish my will to his will. I will continue to trust him even when everything inside me says I probably shouldn't do that. So I want to ask you today, are you persisting in prayer for things? If you don't trust God, you're not, right? You have to trust Him. You need to trust Him. You're called to trust Him. And as you get older and you mature in the faith, what happens as God works in your heart, you move from a demanding voice, God, you should do this, and if you don't, I'm going to do this, to a cooperating voice. God, you've got a bigger story going on and I want to align myself with your story. I don't understand it. I still cry. There's still pain. But I'm going to trust you. You've got a bigger story. So the choice for us today, when God says especially no, we can say, good riddance. God, you're, this doesn't work. You didn't come through for me anymore. Can I say, if you turn from God, what do you have left? You have your small little story and you won't get God's love, joy, peace, because you've walked from Him. You've got your smallest story. I'm going to go to my death just miserable because God didn't answer my prayer. I've got all my reasons. Or will you, like so many other people, turn to God and say, God, I know so little. You've got a bigger plan, and you've called me to trust you with your plan. And you turn to the one who is all-loving, all-knowing, all-powerful. You turn to the one whose ways are higher than your ways. You turn to the one who has more power than you do. You turn to the one who sent his son to die for you while you were still a sinner. You turn to the one who calls you to cast all your cares on him. You turn to the one that will never leave you or forsake you. You turn to the one that catches your prayers and your tears in a bottle. You turn to the one who has promised to set all things right one day in your life. He's promised to wipe every tear from your eye. He's promised to make all things new. He's promised to work as you continue to pray. Jesus spoke a parable to them that they should always pray and not give up. I'm going to invite you to stand for prayer. Would you join with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this reminder today that we are to be persistent in prayer, that you are a good God who loves us. But ultimately, Lord, it's your will that will be done. Lord, give us the faith to keep asking you for things. But Lord, give us the faith to trust you with whatever the answer may be. 
And right now I want to invite you, maybe there's some area of your life where you stopped asking or you just like you've given up with God. Is God saying to you this morning, hey, I'm still here. Trust me. Would you begin to persist in prayer? And if you are persisting in prayer for something, would you even right now just call out to God? He hears you. He knows. Would you call out to him in faith?